All right, bradcooney.com is absolutely honored to have in NASA planetary scientist Jared Espley. Jared, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you joining me. We're excited about this MAVEN mission that's uh, this recently launched to Mars. You played a big role in that. Let's talk about that, man. Yeah, no, I'm glad to have you have you have me here. Be have people be interested in the Mars program. Um, so yeah, I'm on the the science team for the Maven mission. So I'm here at uh, NASA Goddard over here, uh, just outside of Washington D.C. And uh, so Na- uh, Goddard is uh, the NASA uh, center that's in charge of the mission. And so I'm fortunate to be working on this mission and be part of the science team uh, working on it. Okay, great. So I was going to ask you about your role, and you just said you're part of the science mission. So basically, for my listeners, when um, when the spacecraft gets to Mars, is when it gets really exciting for you. I'm guessing that that's when you you you, uh, you know analyze data and, and as such. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that, I mean, so uh, as a scientist at NASA, I get to have what I think is a very fun and unique role, which is that I I get to be interface in between the engineers who are working on actually building the spacecraft, building the instruments, and then the broader science community, people who are maybe professors at universities or researchers at other institutions who are interested in trying to do science with the data that we'll we'll take. So um, I certainly think of myself as a scientist, but I have to be also very familiar with the instruments. So certainly there's been a lot of work uh, leading up to this point to get all the different science instruments on board the spacecraft and and trying to get get us ready to take the data like you say when we get to mars is this your first involvement with a mars mission or have you been involved in other mars missions this is the first one that this is the first mission that i've been involved with from the beginning um Mm. and uh previously when i was in graduate school i was fortunate to work on the mars global surveyor mission oh nice mars earlier Uh, and that's uh, sort of how i end up where i am today that's good stuff. The, the, uh, this, there's been a lot of good global survey missions, um, a lot of good rover missions that I've been really involved with, and a lot of my listeners are um, interested in, in some of the uh, data that we've gotten back from the, the Curiosity, which has been a home run mission. So I'm guessing you guys you guys have a big big shoes to follow with, with Curiosity, with Maven. Um, how, long, how long will it take the spacecraft to get to Mars? It takes about 10 months to get there, uh, and like you just said, the Curiosity rover has been just a tremendous success, so we're happy to be able to continue on uh, after that with our mission that will that'll carry on the exploration of Mars. I was always curious, is there any, I know how like in college and, and, and pro football, there's always a little ribbon that goes on amongst, you know, Team A and Team B. Is there ever any anything like that with NASA? Like you know, these guys from Curiosity, you know, like come on, guys, bring it, man, bring it. You, know, you got big shoes to fill. Is there any playing like that that ever goes on behind the scenes? Uh, I mean, every team's got its own, uh, you know, science goals, and certainly so. There's uh, just a little bit of um, you know, there's the people who are most interested, scientists speaking now, that are most interested in say. Uh, the surface of Mars, the rocks, the features there. There are people more interested in the atmosphere there. Um, there's also uh, uh, sometimes, you know, different institutions have opportunities to work on different missions. And so hmm. you always want to make sure that your your institution's doing well. Of course, uh, you know, you always wish your others well as well, but you want to make sure that, that your institution's 
for for this mission is that we're we're pretty distinct from uh, from the rovers. I mean, we're an orbiter. We're going right. into an uh, elliptical orbit around the planet, uh, and so you know it's really hard to compete with the the uh, amazing EDL, the amazing landing that Curiosity right. and all the science that's going on on the surface there. Um, we're very excited about our mission. We think we have a great um, mission, a lot of great science, but it's just not necessarily as uh, eye-catching and headline-grabbing as, as landing a nuclear rover on the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> video. I mean, that's crazy when you say a nuclear ro- rover with lasers, right? <laughs> right. What about the, uh, the, the the landing technique it had, too? That was the first time for, like, those, uh, uh, it was like a rocket set that bring it down, you know, Vertically, yeah, the the, the uh, sky crane, the sky crane, right, right. Yeah, that, I mean that that was uh, the the video depicting how that likely was to play out, and then to actually see that, you know, uh, I mean to to hear the reports of that playing out uh, the night when it was landing was just <laughs> an amazing experience, and so uh, it is it it's it's just inspiring to see that type of thing happen. Um, and so our mission's going to be exciting, and we're very happy about it, but uh, for better or worse, we're not quite as, uh, you know, uh, obviously headline-grabbing it as that, mm-hmm. since we'll be going into orbit. Equally as important, though, this is a really, really big mission, because you guys are going there to figure out what happened to the atmosphere. Um, so get into that a little bit for me. What, what for, my, for my listeners, what is the primary mission, and just break that down for us. Uh, what's the primary mission of the spacecraft? Hmm. So that's what we think might have happened, and that's what Maven is designed to investigate. 
try and understand if the solar wind is the culprit behind the case of the missing Martian atmosphere. Now, what kind of footprints could be left that Maven could detect that could prove this theory? Yeah, that's a great question. So what Maven will do to try and understand if this is true or not is our first thing to do is, like I said, we will go into an elliptical orbit around the planet. So we'll be able to go in really close to the planet, comparatively speaking, with our spacecraft, and then we'll go comparatively far out away from the planet. And that way we'll be able to uh, basically sniff the atmosphere and capture the different parts of the atmosphere that are escaping at any given time, the different molecules uh, that are up there in the atmosphere and capture those. And they will also be able to see what's going on with the solar wind when we're far away. So by doing that, then we kind of create this little like net, you know, just imagine like an observational net as this spacecraft goes around the planet, takes its measurements, captures the particles that might be escaping, and we can basically try and count them up and see how many particles are possibly escaping at any given time. And so that will be our first step to try and understand if, if in fact the atmosphere is escaping currently today, and that way we can try and uh, extrapolate back in time to see if that is possibly the explanation then for where the atmosphere overall has gone over billions of years. Well, um, if let's say let's say the the theory is not what you guys think, and it may be like a huge asteroid hit. Um, is there any way the spacecraft can tell the difference between theories? As always in science, things are complicated, especially in planetary science. All these different parts of planets work together as systems. But that's a, 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 a very good question that you asked about how we can tell about different theories, because that's what science is all about, right? Is mm -hmm. testing things and trying to see which one works and which one doesn't. So um, there are some observations that can be made. And in fact, uh, observations on the ground from the rovers that can help us perhaps tell the difference between this theory of the solar wind gradually blowing away the atmosphere over billions of years, and maybe the idea of a giant asteroid coming in and just blowing it all away all at once. And one, one of those ways that we can possibly tell the difference between those two is by looking at um, the amount of lighter constituents in the atmosphere versus heavier. And so what I mean by that is there's different molecules of, of the atmosphere. Uh, that, so let's take... Uh, hydrogen, just for an example. So you've got some hydrogen molecules in the atmosphere. Maybe it's mixed up in some water. Or maybe it's just by itself. Um, it's, it'd probably be mostly in the water. And then there's something called uh, heavy water, which is deuterium. And it's, it's almost the same as hydrogen. And so they're, these are different isotopes, is what they call them. And you can try and see if the heavier one, the, the deuterium, is there in slightly higher amounts than the lighter one. And in fact, that's what we're seeing already. And if, if that's true, then you can imagine with the solar wind coming in and kind of gradually blowing things away, the lighter stuff's going to get away easier versus the heavy mm. stuff, which is going to kind of float down a little more towards the surface. Of course, everything's all mixed up in the atmosphere, but it's just slight preference. And so if you can look at this ratio between the heavier elements, the heavier isotopes versus the lighter isotopes, you can try and get an idea if it's been some sort of escape to space gradually or if a giant asteroid just comes in and smashes the whole thing, then it's not really going to matter if the where the heavier isotopes were versus the lighter isotopes. Hmm. Very interesting. Talk a little bit about some of the other capabilities that the spacecraft has. What, what, what could this thing do? Well, so 
So we have a, uh, several instruments on board. They're all designed towards looking at these science goals that I was describing and trying to capture the escaping atmosphere of Mars today so we can extrapolate back in time. So the instruments all work together as a team. Um, some of the instruments will measure the particles directly. They're mass spectrometers, um, either of the neutral gas in the atmosphere or sometimes the gas can get uh, ionized. So we also have particle detectors for ionized atmospheric constituents, and we also can measure the electrical and magnetic fields, and we can even look into the ultraviolet light where a lot of these different processes give off the different emission lines that, that would be useful. So that's our science package, but then another neat thing that we have on board is we have a telecommunications relay package that's designed so that we can communicate with the rovers on the ground. We're basically like a communication satellite here at Earth, but mm. we're at Mars. <laughs> and so that telecommunications relay package lets us be the backup for the ones that are there currently. Currently, the rovers are talking to some of the other satellites that are at Mars and sending that data all the way back to Earth. When we get there, they'll keep doing that. But if and when those other satellites um, stop working, then we'll be able to pick up the uh, pick that up and start being the backup telecommunications relay. So that that's pretty oh, neat wow. to be able to help out with the other with the rovers. So 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 the so mission on the ground can can actually send commands through Maven to have the rovers, you know, drive and, and, and seek science? Yeah, absolutely. That in fact, uh, the rovers on the ground have a very hard time getting any communications back directly to Earth. Any of the any of the data that they want to send back um, is is much better sent using these uh, other satellites sure. in orbit around Mars. That's good stuff, man. I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. It actually prolongs the life, maybe, of, of these rovers as far as um, longevity. Yeah, certainly is if, if there were not orbiting satellites around Mars, then the rovers themselves right. would have a hard time getting all their data back. You know, all these images, beautiful images that everybody, all of us, you and I both get excited about. Um, it, it's just really hard to get all that data back to Earth. You know, mm-hmm. you got your you got your cell phone, you're trying to get your 4G service or whatever, you yeah. have four rovers on the surface of Mars, and it's trying to send data back. Right. So it, it tries to send it through the telecommunications. That's good stuff. Now, what about cameras? Is there, is there some nice cameras on there? So our mission, like I said, is focused on the science question of trying to understand the upper atmosphere of Mars. And mm-hmm. so uh, visual light cameras are not particularly useful for that because you can't really see the atmosphere True. very well with cameras. So unfortunately, we don't actually have any visual light cameras. We do have the ultraviolet uh, imager that I mentioned. And so we'll be able to see images in the ultraviolet, um, which will give us a unique look at Mars. So um, it, it, again, it's, it, it, it's a great science mission, and maybe it's slightly less exciting from a PR point of view um, to not have the visual light camera on there. But yeah. we have lots of other assets there that do have those. There's a lot of Mars geeks like me that are just as amped about this mission, though, as, as the rover missions. Um, sure. Maybe more more so than, than, than some people might think. Now, one of the things I always wanted to ask you guys, um, you know, like in Star Trek, it's, it's really easy to terraform a planet. Um, you know, the, the Genesis <laughs> Genesis Project. I'm not sure if you're a Star Trek fan or not. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've seen the movies, yep. Yep. Um, what, talk about the, in reality, is that something that's, NASA looks at down the road to, to maybe reverse the effects of what's going on in, on the, in, in the Mars atmosphere? Right. So I'm not an expert on terraforming, uh, but certainly it's something that's captured the imagination of the public in science fiction and, and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm not 
of any um, fundamental physics that would prevent you from uh, being able to change the climate of a, of a planet, which is basically what you're talking about when you're talking about terraforming. But if you're talking about making planetary scale changes, you're talking about planetary scale resources and time periods that are mm. necessary to make those changes. Um, so it's not something that if, if and when society decided that we wanted to terraform Mars, it's not something that we would be able to do easily or cheaply. And so we'd have to make a, a collective decision and put a lot of resources into doing something like that. You'd have to try and find a way to deliver uh, to deliver more of an atmosphere back to the surface so you could start increasing the surface pressure again, so you could start thinking about raising the temperature, creating a better greenhouse effect at Mars, so you could start having liquid water on the surface, so you could start thinking about trying to build up an ecosystem. These are challenges that would take decades, centuries yeah. of effort and require planetary scale engineering, basically. Now, what's the lifespan of MAVEN? Is there a lifespan in this spacecraft? I mean, is there, does, I mean can we look at years and years of, of, of research data? Um, how long do you think MAVEN will last? So, MAVEN's nominal mission time period is one Earth year. That's simply the amount of time that we felt was the minimum necessary to get the statistics that we wanted to get to mm -hmm. try and get a handle on how much atmosphere might be escaping due to the solar wind. The spacecraft itself, certainly all the parts on board are, we certainly hope are, will be able to last for many years. Uh, we have enough rocket fuel on board to keep our orbit the way we would like it because every time we get in a little uh, close to the planet, quite close to the planet, we use up a little bit of rocket fuel. But we have at least seven years of rocket fuel. And then, like I was saying, we actually will probably someday be uh, telecommunications relay for the rovers on the ground, the ones that are there currently and maybe even the ones going in the future. So NASA as a whole would probably like our mission to be there for years to come. So hmm. I'm very optimistic that we'll be there for many years, taking lots of good data. That's good stuff. Last few questions and I'll let you go. Um, this is not so much directly... Maven questions per se, but these are some questions that some of my Facebook followers wanted me to ask uh, yeah. a, a scientist from NASA. They don't really get a lot of opportunities to ask scientists from NASA. Um, so I'm going to throw a couple questions that I got from Facebook. Um, okay. One of them was, um, please ask the scientist if he feels that Mars has the possibility of life beneath its surface somewhere today. So we know that Mars likely was a habitable environment. And what I mean by that, it was warm and it was wet in ancient times. And so we think that it's certainly plausible um, that there was life on the planet uh, in ancient times. Uh, but as I said, it's also clear that it's a desolate place today. So it's clear there's no life, obvious life on the surface today. Um, whether or not there's any life underneath the surface, I personally, I, I don't, I literally don't know. So as a scientist, I can't say one way or the other, but it's certainly uh, possible. There's no reason to rule that out. There's liquid water that could exist under the subsurface. We know that the ingredients for, uh, sorry, the conditions to, to have life exist, existed at Mars, you know, liquid water, nice warm environment. So it's possible that there's life under the surface. Um, and I would love to find that out someday. Do you think we will, and in, in, just say in the next 30, 40, 50 years? So NASA has a, a plan to send, to continue our robotic exploration of the planet. Maven is one part of that. There's a continuous plan of sending more robotic spacecraft to there. 
Uh, and then there's also a plan to eventually send humans to Mars in the 2030s. So it's always difficult to predict the future. I mean, that's fundamentally that's a uh, political question, a societal uh, question of, of when, what the will would be for us as a, as a country, as, as, a, as a planet, to send that type of uh, effort to send people there. But there's a plan to do that in the 2030s, to send humans there. And once we get humans there, then it's possible that they would be able to make uh, rapid progress on investigating whether or not there was any life underneath the subsurface or, or, any, or anywhere else at Mars. All right, and I have another question. Actually, this is from a young lady who lives in India, and she's very proud of her country. She said that they just launched a Mars mission um, themselves, and she wanted to get your thoughts on other countries that are pursuing things that NASA has been doing for a while now. No, uh, I am absolutely uh, excited, ecstatic even, about the, the, the Mars uh, mission from India, uh, Mars orbital mission from, mm-hmm. from, from those guys. It's just fantastic that there are multiple uh, space agencies that are able to get in on, on the exploration of space. Uh, and in particular, it's very exciting to see them going at the same time that we're going. Of course, the reason that... Uh, our mission is leaving when it is, and the reason their mission is leaving when it is uh, is because Mars is in the right place at the right time for those missions to get there. So basically, we'll be traveling towards Mars uh, together, the Maven spacecraft and the Indian hmm. spacecraft, and they'll be making, uh, getting into orbit about the same time we will, we will be, uh, and then they'll start taking their science data. And uh, they have a, a mass spectrometer on board as well, so we should be able to make complementary uh, measurements. Uh, their mission is not... Uh, focused exclusively on atmospheric escape, so they don't have the comprehensive uh, instrument suite that we have, but they have other instruments as well that can do other types of science. So I think it's great specifically with the, the Indian mission, and I also think that just in general, I'm, uh, as a scientist and as a, as a person here, here on Earth, I'm excited to see all these opportunities for other peoples and other countries to get involved in space exploration. And that's good. And is it, is it pretty... Um, is there is there is there good cooperation amongst countries? Um, collaboration on, on information and data you guys get. So everything that that NASA does scientifically is all public. You know, we try and get that data out there as soon as we can. And mm-hmm. in many ways, that's what my job is as a scientist. Yeah, to give as much data out to the public, to my colleagues, but also just to the general public. Everything that we learn and, and just tell people about what we're learning. So. Um, in that sense, it's very open and collegial amongst the scientists, uh, amongst the different space programs. Generally speaking, they all work uh, quite well, both at the kind of grassroots level, at my level, the working scientists or the engineers, and even at the headquarters, at the executive uh, level, there are oftentimes agreements back and forth between the different space agencies. Um, of course, that's not uniformly true across all the space agencies at the, at the uh, administrative level, but certainly on the grassroots level, all the scientists and all the engineers from all the different countries mingle at meetings, and we we enjoy exchanging what we've learned about about the solar system. Good stuff. And the last question I got is uh, from a young man named Danny, and he's from London, England, and he wants to know what would be a home run as far as evidence found by Maven. So. Our absolute science goal is to try and understand whether or not the atmosphere has been blown away by the solar wind over billions of years. So if we were able to, to find out how much atmosphere is being escaped today, if all of our instruments work together the way we hope they do, and we're able to 
figure out how much atmosphere is being escaping is escaping right now today and then from that we were able to extrapolate back in time then that would be our uh, achieving our main science goal achieving the home run of our of our mission yeah that would be great wouldn't that be something if, if, if it all just came together and we, we can come back and say yep that's that's what happened there you go yeah, very excited about that well let me tell you something i really enjoyed the, the, talking to you um, I really appreciate you doing this interview, and um, we look forward to getting you back maybe in a few months to give us a follow-up. Is that possible? Yeah, certainly, because, uh, again, for me as a scientist, uh, I'm really looking forward to when we get into orbit around Mars in about 10 months. That's when we'll get our Mars science data back, so I'd be happy to, to talk to you again. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it.